Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 23 titled Moto America Twins Cup Racer Chris Bays. In this episode, I talk with Moto America racer Chris Bays, who started riding motorcycles on the street about 15 years ago and has been racing motorcycles for the last five years at the club and professional levels. While he still likes the idea of riding on the street, Chris's attention is fully focused on his racing these days. As he mentions in this episode, once he got bitten by the racing bug, he just couldn't not race. I'm sure that anyone that has been bitten by the motorcycle bug will understand. Once you're hooked, you're hooked. This episode is also the perfect opportunity to announce this podcast's official sponsorship of Chris Bay's and the number 621 R-Bomb Racing Suzuki SV650 in the remainder of the Moto America Twins Cup Championship season. So fire up the Moto America Live Plus streaming app or surf on over to Chris's social media or to my podcast social media and check out the podcast stickers on the racing livery for Chris's bike. To help celebrate this new partnership, I'm also excited to announce that Bayes Racing and this podcast have teamed up to give away one free general admission ticket to see Moto America Racing live. The ticket can be used at one of the remaining Moto America rounds this season, either in Pittsburgh, New Jersey, or Alabama. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for details on how you can enter to win. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, August 7th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. My special guest tonight is Chris Bays, who runs the number 621 on his Suzuki SV650 in the Moto America Twins Cup Race Series. So welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So, um, you know, like, like we were just talking about, you know, I kind of have an outline of questions that I usually work with. And uh, I was just thinking about it a little bit driving home. And I was like, I know this is probably a big question, but I'm like, let's just start with this question, which is, how did you get into racing? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and take as much time as you want to answer it but i was like that's kind of the heart of the matter and like there's lots of other things i want to talk to you about but like that's that's what interests me the most i think yeah yeah no um so usually when i get that question um what i say is they'll let anybody do it <laughs> um you you just uh you just show up and and it's amazing you show up with a bike and some money and they'll let you go race motorcycles uh, <laughs> okay. but uh no i um i, I got into to motorcycles period um almost 15 years ago and started out on the street and and went through a bunch of, of different phases that uh, maybe we can talk about but then about um about five years ago after after having been a fan of motorcycle racing for for a decade um i was like well maybe i'll go do some track days and so i I started doing some some reading online, and eventually I, I posted up on uh, on a forum for the Weira Race Organization, and just kind of said, "Hey, here's here's who I am. Here's where I am. I, I'm interested in in doing some racing or some riding." And uh, at that point, my plan really was just to to get a bike and do some track days. And um, <clears throat> in response to my post, somebody got in touch with me and said, "Hey, we're, we're right down the road. We we race with Weira." And uh, you should come hang out. 
and uh, ended up being a, a really good friend of mine. And uh, and um, his son is is also racing in the Twins Cup this year. That's uh, Kurt and Drake Beecham. And um, and Kurt's a, a really really convincing bad influence. So <laughs> within within a month or two, uh, I had a I had a race bike, and then I went and did one track day and, and went racing. So I just it happened fast after after thinking about it and talking about it for ten years. So I just kind of jumped jumped right in both both feet or both wheels, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I did I did the one track day and um, you know just did the usual like novice group go go teeter around and. Um, few weeks later there was there was a race with we were a regional race and said hey you know why not i think uh i think i can go run run a novice novice class race and uh signed up for the race school and and four races that weekend and um and actually managed to to win three out of four and uh i, I ran off the track in in the last one and, and still i think finished third so yeah, it, it uh, I was as surprised as anybody with the results, but I was I was hooked. So that's a good way to start off. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a surprise, but it was a nice surprise. It's, it's pretty cool to uh to uh pass pass that that guy for first and then have nobody in front of you but clear track. It's it's a cool sensation. Nice. And you know, it's interesting because I know like just watching racing and I've been watching motorcycle racing basically three years since I started riding three years ago. I had maybe caught it a little bit here and there over the years, but my main thing was always car racing. And then, uh, you know, one, once I started riding it, that's just my interest just went to motorcycle racing and I'd, I'd watch car racing if I had the time, but I can't even keep up between MotoGP, American flat track, Moto America, you know, world Superbike. I, I, I can't even keep up with that stuff. So, um, it's kind of like, Hey, motorcycle racing is the thing. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the best. I, uh, I I also grew up watching cars, uh, typically more like IndyCar, F1, touring cars. And then I was aware of bikes. You see them on, on television once in a while. Um, but it, it wasn't until I was an adult that, that I really kind of found the sport. And uh, and I, like you, I watch every series you can get on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool, cool. So, Wera stands for what? Is it West? Is it West East or Western Eastern? Eastern. <laughs> you know what? I honestly have no idea. Okay, um, <laughs> so hold on, because I, I have it in the notes here someplace. I know it was in here someplace. Wera. Okay. Well, whatever. I'll, I'll I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's either West East or Western Eastern. I think it's West East Racing Association, right? Sure. Something like yeah. That. I'll go with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, it's actually interesting too because if you go to the the Wera website, you, you don't see that spelled out anywhere. Maybe they don't even really use it anymore. It's just like there's the logo that says Wera. Everything on the page says Wera. I actually had to Google to find the the name spelled out. So maybe it's just not really promoted. Maybe it's just Wera now because maybe you know maybe whatever the original idea was of the you know West and East regions, maybe that's kind of blurred or something. So they they don't focus on it. Yeah, maybe so. Weir's, uh, I think Weir's been around for like 40, 45 years. So, um, oh, wow. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, uh, it's region and it's, it's, uh, mission has probably changed in that time, but it's, it's definitely one of the, one of the longest running, uh, club racing organizations around. Okay. And, and is Weir, uh, specifically club racing? Is there any like semi pro or pro or it, it's just, just club racing um today it's club racing um you know I, I might i might be wrong about this but i believe before my time it was a bit of a pro or, or a semi-pro component as well um but but certainly since i've been around it's it's been a 
a club racing organization. Right. Okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, because I actually, I, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, you were listening to uh, the episode I did with Braden Ort. I don't know if you got to listen to the whole thing, but he races in Wera too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know Braden's doing some stuff out in California with AFM. Um, That's what. Sorry, AFM. He, he may have. He may have done some Wera in the past, but um, and okay. I know he's trying to do the whole AFM series this year. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, he's he's a busy dude. He's <laughs> like he's all over the place. That's what's really cool. I know when I when I interviewed him, he was you know in the process of driving his RV back home after the the, the race weekend at Laguna Seca. So and and his injury and whatnot. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's great for a young young guy like that being able to do all that riding and and, and travel around with the RV. That's that's such a, a cool program that he's put together for himself. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. So, um, so how did you get the number 621? How'd that come about? <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, the number 129 seems to follow me around. Uh, it was like the, the number of my first apartment and it, it just seems to pop up with some significance through my life. Um, but when I became an expert, number 129 was not available. <laughs> so I had to pick something else. And I, I sort of, if you turn 129 upside down, it kind of looks like 621. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Cool. Uh, so, so that's what we went with. And it, it's also nice when you pick a weird number like 621, because you can go to a different organization and it's probably available. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I guess, with using three digits, right? Yeah. So n- racers, uh, racers are really cheap because we spend all of our money on travel and on tires. So then, right. we, <laughs> then we, we don't want to buy things like, like food or or vinyl for extra number plates. So if I can if I can save nine dollars on the extra pack of vinyl numbers, I will. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but it's interesting. I I love the story. There's there's you know not always, but usually there's a story behind you know the the racer's number. Like um, I'm trying to think. JD Beach. What does he run? Ninety eight. Oh, I can't think of it. Anyway, I know there's a cool story behind that, um, you know, I've, and I've heard of racers who are like, you know, kind of as a, uh, you know, what, how would you call it, you know, out of respect for like an homage to like Nikki Hayden, like they'll run some form of the number he was running, stuff like that. So, you know, but then that's not available. So you flip it around or you add something and like there's, there's always kind of a like a reason in the story behind how they got to their number. Yeah, for sure. Usually I think it, it connects back to, you know, a an idol or a friend or a parent or something like that. So it's, it's a nice way to, to keep some, some tradition through the, the, the racing, the racing uh, generations. Right. Exactly. Especially if you have like brothers who raised a father, son, or I guess in, in extreme cases, like grandfather, father, son, I'm, I'm guessing there's a couple of those here and there. Yeah, I'm sure. So, um, Okay, so you're racing a Suzuki SV650, right? And I was just taking a look at the Moto America website. So the the Twins Cup Series allows engine configurations over 600cc up to 800, and they're all four-stroke two-cylinder. And then, excuse me, it says the minimum weight for a 600 to 700cc bike is just shy of 300 pounds. And then the, the the minimum weight for 700cc up to 800 is about 320 pounds. So that's actually, well, at least to me, that's a pretty light bike. Maybe not in terms of race bikes, but like, you know, I, I've got a Kawasaki Vulcan S, which is probably just a little over 500, and then a Kawasaki Z900 
virus, which is probably just a little shy of 500. So a little bit of difference in weight. There. Oh yeah, you're, you're right. And um, actually you hit the nail on the head. That's, that's really light for a production based motorcycle. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you watch like MotoGP and, and some of the other uh, GP classes and, and those bikes can get down in the low 300 range. Right. And, and obviously Moto3 bikes are, are tiny, but um, <clears throat> a stock, SV650 or a stock R6 or a stock 1000. I mean, those are, um, you know, in the vicinity of 400 pounds. Um, and so to be able to modify uh, a lightweight twins bike like an SV650 and get it down to, to 300 pounds is, um, I would say, almost impossible within the rule book of Moto America twins because there's certain things I can't change, right? Like I can't change the frame. I can't do... Uh, I can't change the material of the tank. We can't go magnesium wheels, any of that kind of unobtainium stuff. Um, the uh, the Yamaha the Yamaha FC07 that also runs in the class is actually quite a bit lighter from the factory, and so uh, some some teams have been able to get those down to the minimum weight uh, at at great expense. Now, so so that means replacing parts with like what like what what's the thing? I mean, like aluminum, or is it even more exotic? Yeah, that? so um, typically aluminum, titanium, or um, or even like printed carbon. Um, but but usually you're talking about um, if if you were to swap every bolt on the motorcycle for titanium, you you would be surprised uh, how much weight you can save there. Or um, if you cut the stock subframe off the you know you, you probably know but the the part of the frame that holds the tail uh if you, if you cut that off and fab up a lightweight aluminum or, or titanium subframe um you could potentially save close to 10 pounds um kind of depending on the motorcycle so it's it's a lot of those small changes that that add up that add up sure and which i guess is interesting because it's a kind of thing you can do step by step i mean you know, it, it may not make you as competitive as you want to be out of the gate, but at least, you know, as I guess, as a racer has the money, you replace parts, replace parts till you get it, you know, basically as light as you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, my, my program is probably more on the, the low end of the, the spectrum in terms of, of budget. Uh, so for me, it's like, I'm never going to get near 300 pounds, but we can, um, we can put a lighter subframe on for not too much money. Um, we can just cut tabs off and, and grind off parts of the frame that you don't need. Uh, you can uh, drill holes in things. You can cut down your brake rotors. All, all pretty reasonably, um, pretty reasonable cost on those things. Um, probably the the biggest uh, investment we made was to go with some some lightweight aluminum wheels, which saves about seven pounds of rotating mass and and really changes the way the bike handles. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's probably right. So that's probably the bigger, the bigger issue, right? Is the handling and how that helps in cornering and, and whatnot. Oh, I mean, I, I guess there's an advantage. Well, actually, that's the, here's a question for you. So do you see, you know, when, when you change a component out like that, like that out, right? So you, know, you reduce the rotating mass, I'm guessing you're going to accelerate better. Where, where do you see, do you see more benefit like corners versus straightaway or? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, what you'll notice right away when, when you make a big change, especially if you change the, the front wheel, but, but on either wheel is the bike changes direction much more quickly. Um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the gyroscopic effect is what makes a motorcycle want to stay straight up and down and go in a straight line. And um, two of the two of the major gyroscopes are the wheels. So if if you can move, uh, if you can reduce three or four pounds from a wheel that I don't know what a wheel weighs. Let's let's say a wheel weighs I don't know twelve fifteen pounds without a tire or, or brakes on it. Um, you can take a, a huge percentage of that energy out of the gyroscope, and it makes the bike want to uh, change directions much more easily, which which is you know obviously uh, a good thing with motorcycle racing. Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. So, so like a stock SV six fifty. I think you said before, like what what's the weight? Like if you just take a, a bike off the shoulder. Yeah. So, uh, you know, wild guess, dry weight, probably right around 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then if you start to pull, you start to pull off the, the basic stuff that you would do for any club race. Um, you, you'd probably get down to about 375 pounds with a gallon of fuel in it ready to race. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. if, uh, if you said no expense spared, no rule book to worry about. You might get one down below 300. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a ton of weight. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot of weight. That's pretty Yeah. My, my bike's probably sitting somewhere around 350 pounds with a gallon of race fuel in it now. Um, which, uh, you know, it's, it's enough, it's light enough to compete. And, um, I, I have a, a bit of an advantage over some other guys in that, um, I'm just, I have a motorcycle racer's frame. <laughs> I'm kind of lightweight. Um, when it, mm-hmm. while, while in shape, I'm usually sitting at like 135 pounds. So me versus okay. a, a kind of a more normal adult <laughs> that weighs 170, 190 pounds. Um, right there, I have some of a power to power to weight advantage. Right. Definitely. Definitely. How, how tall are you? Uh, five ten. Okay. What, so what, what's like. Cause I, I know like the, the, you know, like if you look at the super bike, you know, like the, the really good super bike races and stuff, you know, whether it's you know, Bobier or Elias or like a MotoGP, I mean, what, I, I guess it varies. Like Valentino Rossi is pretty tall, right? I don't know exactly. Is was he close to I, six I think foot? he's like five ten, five eleven maybe. And he's, he's one of the taller okay. Grand Prix racers, right? A lot of those guys are maybe five, right. five, four to five, seven. Right. So there's obviously an, an advantage in that. Although, you know, I guess like anything, you know, there's advantages in different places. So I guess there could be ways in which a taller guy has some advantage. You know, and I guess it's just a matter of learning how to use what you got. You know, the bike, the bike, you can shave off weight and whatever. And yes, you can, you know, get yourself in shape and maybe shed some pounds. But then there's only so much you can do, right, with your body. It's like it is the way it is. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're six foot two and you've got broad shoulders, no matter how light you get, you're never going to be able to tuck in behind that screen in the same way that uh, uh, Tony Elias right. will. Right. right, 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 Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because just looking at the specs for Twins Cup, it's kind of interesting because I think it's the same for uh, for um, the uh, Super Sport. <clears throat> you know, when I was talking to Braden Ort, but the age range that the the rider age limit is 16 to 55. And I was like, I saw that. I'm like, oh man, it's like, I just turned 56 right back in April. So I'm like, oh, I, I missed my <laughs> shot. I missed my, <laughs> I missed my shot at Moto America. You got a petition for an exemption. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean that, that, and I weigh like 210 pounds. So that probably isn't a huge <laughs> thing. But, uh, yeah, but, but that, that is interesting stuff. And I, you know, I, I, 
I don't know if I had mentioned to you, actually, maybe it was Braden when we were talking, but you know, I'm, I'm still working up. I haven't done it yet. I am interested in doing track days. Um, I, I just kind of see it. And it's not like, I feel like I'm like a, you know, a pro on the street or like I've mastered that, but I just got to a point in my writing where it's like, Hey, you know, I think it's time to stretch the legs a little bit. One, on my motorcycle and and two just me you know because the track environment it, it is different right you can you can ride differently you do, you know if you're smart you don't have to be as careful or conservative maybe as you know as you do on the street and whatnot but you know definitely i'm like okay so that would be really cool and you know i don't know whatever i, I don't know, maybe it maybe it's like what you did like i do one or two track days and it's like okay now i want to go amateur racing but i i could definitely see doing that i mean a couple whatever it was, six weeks, maybe two months ago, I was down to, you know, Jersey Motorsports Park, right, where you guys will be in September. Uh, they had like the vintage motorcycle races down there. And that was wild. That was just a blast to see. So even even to just do something like that, you know, get myself a vintage motorcycle, make sure it's in good, you know, running condition and just go out and just race the thing. And, you know, I, for me personally, I wouldn't even care if I'm last all the time, you know, as long as I get a chance to be out on the track and see the other bikes and, and whatever. So, We'll have to see if I can get. Yeah, you, you really should. And and you know while while you're thinking about it, or or for anybody else that, that might be in a similar position, you know, one thing I would suggest is like if if you have a buddy or just somebody from the internet you know that's going to a track day, like just go with them. You don't have to, you don't have to take your bike or whatever. Just just go see how it works and um and get a feel for it and and go to the riders meetings and and just kind of. Um, like I said, get, get the feeling and, uh, and you might decide that it's not for you, or I think much more likely you'll, you'll get back as soon as you can with your own bike. Um, but you'll be much right. more, um, much more prepared, less overwhelmed for the day because you know how the program runs. Sure. No, that totally makes sense. So it was something I was thinking about doing. In fact, one of the guys I want to have on the podcast does um track days it's not like close to me but there's a track up in new york called new york safety track um that he you know he goes up there he does track days and actually he was going to be on the podcast about i don't know six weeks ago and unfortunately he was doing track days that weekend prior and he had a a bit of an incident and he wrecked his bike and busted up his ankle and stuff so we're we're still getting that sorted out but um yeah i was probably going to go up with him you know one of one of these weekends and i'd like to do what you said like just go just go experience it just go hang out watch the bikes you know i love photography take pictures and whatever just absorb as much as i can you know so i can ask the questions and kind of get myself you know ready ready to, to just like jump in and do yeah it. yeah you, you definitely should and it's always good to be at the racetrack and going going to spectate a track day or a club race is probably the cheapest way to go watch motorcycles go fast you know usually you'll pay nothing or maybe 10 20 bucks right Right, right, right. No, that, that's yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, and, and in a way, I'm I'm kind of jealous of people that live near tracks. You know, like you know, I, I know people that live out like you know parts of California, Southern California, whatever. You know, there's tracks, a couple tracks around here. I mean, you know, we do have Jersey Motorsports Park, but that's like two and a half, three hours. You know, there is uh, the track. Well, Pittsburgh is probably four or five ish hours, so you know, that's it's a bit of a ride. But it's really cool, like for people who are near a track. Yeah, just you can just go every weekend and hang out. It's like not a problem. Yeah, that that would be great. I uh, my closest tracks are three and a half hours. Um, okay, so you're about yeah, the same, but I'm 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 fortunate. This is a pretty good area. I've got um, three tracks within three and a half hours, and and quite a few within a day's drive. So it's a it's a pretty good home base to to race motorcycles. 
That's cool. And you're down in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm in East Tennessee in, in Knoxville. So I've got access to um, the Alabama tracks, Barber, and Little Tally. Okay. And then Road Atlanta is close. Not too far. We have Virginia International Raceway, Mid-Ohio, Pittsburgh, Roebling over in Savannah. So so lots lots of options that I can I can do over a weekend. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Barber Barber's an awesome <clears throat> awesome track. You know, we went down there so two years ago for the the vintage festival down there. It was just awesome just getting a chance to go through the museum and everything, which that that's like, you know, bring bring a lunch and a sleeping bag cuz it could it could take you like a whole weekend to really <laughs> really enjoy everything that's in that museum. It's just that's amazing. That's true. You really should plan an extra day to do the museum and and, and extra, extra day might sound crazy, but um it's it's not even enough time to see everything. No, they just got so much stuff in there, and and the way everything is displayed is really cool. There's lots of like really informative like those information plaques, which is funny because normally, like if you get me in a museum, like I like museums and whatever art or history, or whatever, and, and I'm happy to walk around and look at stuff, but I have no patience to read the plaques and whatever, right? But Barbara, it's like, okay, what does this one say? Okay, what does this one say? <laughs> it's like just. A little bit of a different interest level, but uh, yeah, so I definitely definitely suggest people certainly if they're in you know in Alabama in the area of Barber the, the Barber Raceway go see the museum. But but even if not, it's definitely worth the trip just to go down there and then see the museum. So, listeners should keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the last round of the Moto America series is in late September, and be a great time to come down. It's it's not quite as brutally hot as it is in the middle of the summer in Alabama and uh, come down, see the museum, watch some racing and and probably see some, some championships get decided. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So yeah, since you mentioned it, I was just going to mention to the listeners. So there are, so there's four Moto America rounds left this, this season. So Sonoma, which is this coming weekend, then Pittsburgh, which is August 23rd to the 25th, New Jersey, which is September 7th to 8th. And then, like you said, Alabama, which is two weeks later, September 20 to 22nd. So lot, lots of racing still to go see. And um, I mean, pretty everything's up in the air, right? This is, you know, still four races or four, not just four races, but four, four weekends, four rounds to go, right? Because you guys run one race per week. Uh, yeah, more or less. So we, we run... One race per weekend, but this year we got two double headers. So at the first event in Atlanta, we had a double header, and then we'll have a double header in Pittsburgh in three weeks. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, now the the weekends that you don't is that just like a scheduling thing? It's too much to fit in with everything else going on. Because if right, is this this season? Some of the weekends are two day versus three day, right? Yeah, that's that's right. So um, there are a number of two-day events that are just Saturday and Sunday, and then they're on the three-day events. Um, either twins get a double header, or the stock one thousand class gets a double header. So it is uh, it is essentially about just not having enough hours in the day to run all the all the classes twice. Um, we have the kind of the, the premier or the feature classes, uh, with, um, super bike 1000, super stock 600, and then, um, or super sport 600, and then the, the junior cup and following those, you have the twins and the stock 1000, which are 
kind of considered like support classes. Right. Okay. And the, um, well, well, obviously there's, there's modifications you could make, but the, the twins and the stock 1000, obviously stock is in the name, right? So th- those are more stock programs, right? And, and I guess in part, right. So those series in part are there just to be more affordable, right? So that, you know, you don't, you don't have to have a huge budget with a huge race team to come out and race. Yeah. So with, with stock 1000, um, and, and I'm, I'm not an expert on the class, but they are much more stock than say the, you know, Cameron Bobier, Tony Elias, Superbike 1000s, okay. um, pretty, pretty limited. I mean, they can change, um, suspension engine, uh, suspension exhaust and, and some other kind of, I don't know, bolt on kind of stuff, but you're not going to go inside the motor. Uh, limited on what electronics they can run, things like that. Um, the the right. twins class actually has one of the more open rules packages, um, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting concept the way it's drawn up in the rule book. Um, you know, I could, for example, go put a very expensive Motec ECU traction control data acquisition system on my six thousand dollars street bike <laughs> in the twins class. Um, and we can change, uh, we can change bore. We can, we can do some kind of mild to moderate superbike engine builds. Um, so you can, you can spend quite a bit of money on a twins cup bike within the rule book. Got it. So that, that's interesting, actually. That, I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a cool twist in a way. Yeah. They, um, I've, I've heard, um, the promoters talk about it as, um, uh, sort of the builders class trying to get people to do creative things and, and, and they're probably hoping to see some, you know, aftermarket parts suppliers, uh, pop up and, and create a bit of an industry around that, which, um, which I like the concept. I think that's, that's one of the cool things about the, the twins type bikes where they're, they're not race bikes from the factory. They're, they're street bikes. And so in order to make them go fast, um, you, you do have to make quite a few modifications to get them to handle like race bikes and, try to squeeze more power out while still maintaining longevity from parts that were never intended to go racing. So I like the engineering, the engineering that the, um, that the rule book allows. Um, That's cool. I'm hoping that we can continue to fine tune the rules a little bit because I think, um, you know, allowing a spread from 600 to 800 CCs is, is quite large. (laughs) And so uh, my, my platforms on the 600 end of that, and so, um, you know, hopefully we'll continue to fine tune a little bit just to balance the performance and, and make sure that the racing continues to be close across the different brands. Right. Now, does does Moto America involve you guys a lot in that? Like, is there kind of a, a forum to discuss those kind of things, like suggest rules changes or anything? like uh, that? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, you know, there's definitely an opportunity to weigh in. You can you can talk to people, you can email people and, and have a conversation. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're, they're going to do what, what they think is best for the show, um, which, you know, that's, that's their job. Um, but overall, I mean, I really think they've done a pretty good job and, and they put the call out and say, Hey, we're trying to nail down the 2020 rule book, um, taking suggestions now. Um, but I feel like overall the, the package they have together is, is pretty good. And if, if I was in their shoes, I, I probably wouldn't change wouldn't change too much. Um, last year, last year we had, yep. I think eight to 12 bikes on the grid at a lot of the races and that, that picked up towards the end of the year. But 
um, this season we've seen 30 to 40 plus bikes on the Twins Cup grids every round. So obviously something is working. (laughs) The races are showing up and and the times are getting faster and faster. So um, it, it looks like we're going the right direction with the class and the rules package. Yeah, cool. Now, is is this the second year? It is. It is. Last year, last year was the first season, and uh, this year it's it's. They haven't changed too much. They they allowed a few more modifications for some of the bikes, but um, we've seen a like I said a, a lot more uh, competitors, and the 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 pace is is so much faster this year than it was last year. Um, okay. Now, is is that the nature of the bikes and that guys have had a chance to work on the bikes. Is it the level of racer that's coming? Yeah, I think, I think it's just, um, my opinion, it's competition. Um, you see the, the two guys last year that, that ran the whole twins cup series. And then a lot of others that did a round or a few rounds here and there. Um, that was Chris Parrish and Jason Madonna. They ran the whole season. And if you compare the the lap times those guys did last year when the two of them won most of the races to the times they're doing this year, they're going like two to five seconds faster than they went last year. And and those are experienced racers on pretty much the same bikes they had last year. I mean, there there have been some changes, but not not the kind of changes that would give you two to five seconds a lap. It's just – We've got young kids coming in from the the Junior Cup, like Alex Dumas, Drake Beecham, and then you've got um, more veteran racers, uh, Michael Barnes, Curtis Murray, uh, Darren James, lots, lots, uh, Chris Turner, lots, lots of guys that have been around a long time. And the the more fast racers you put out there, they they push each other, and you have to go faster and faster to stay at the front. Yeah. So like, so, so those differences between le- the, this year and last year, right. Where you're saying two, five, <clears throat> two to five seconds difference, right. Is, is that, you know, with them out in front of everybody or that's, that's with, you know, racers close behind. And, and so therefore they're having to step. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, um, <clears throat> you know, somebody puts in a fast lap, which might've been fast enough to win last year, put it on the pole. And then immediately somebody beats that time and then somebody else immediately beats that time. Um, and so it's just that, that competitive pressure and everyone um, trying to raise the bar that, that elevates the whole field. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, first, first race this year in Atlanta, i I beat my personal best lap time by over two seconds. And, nice. and I think nice. I'm I'm 95% sure that my best lap time was faster than the winner's best lap time last year. And I finished in ninth, like 30 something seconds behind first place. So it, it's just uh, the competition is, is so strong, but, um, but that's great. You know, that's, it's pro racing. That's, that's the way it should be. Yeah, definitely. And the thing too, is it's like, you know, what, at least for me, you know, as a spectator, and that's it, probably true for most people. What what makes racing interesting is okay. Yeah, there there is the technology and whatever, right? So of course, 
I love to see MotoGP. I love to see, you know, the Moto America super bikes, you know, it, it, the technology is there, you know, and you've got the big teams and the whole thing. And yes, that's cool. But really to me, what's interesting about watching racing is the competition. So like, you know, Moto, uh, MotoGP, some of the best races I've seen in the last year or two has been Moto3. In fact, my girlfriend and I were just watching a race the other night. I forget, <clears throat> I forget which one it was because we haven't recorded and we kind of catch up as we can. But th- there was a for most of the race, there was a train of like ten bikes that were all packed together, and and they're swapping position and back and forth, and like that's what makes the racing interesting and exciting. So the fact that the point I'm getting to is the fact that you can have a class like Twins Cup that isn't super super expensive to get into and have that kind of competition that that's racing you know so that that's really cool. yeah for sure you know i i think you know a comparison i would draw between moto three and and the twins cup or or the junior cup is um typically the the smaller the motorcycle meaning meaning the less power the motorcycle has the the closer the racing tends to be um and there's probably a lot of a lot of reasons why that might be, but it's it's just easier to, to ride a slow bike closer to its limit. It's really hard to ride a, a powerful motorcycle close to its limit. You might get 80% of what the bike can do. But when that bike's kind of slow, <laughs> you can get to 95, 98, 99% of its capability more easily. And therefore, the field bunches up. Um and then you have drafting and other reasons why people stay close together, but it does tend to make a more interesting race for, especially for casual fans who want to see people swapping and, and, and a whole big group of guys close together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the reasons I lost interest in formula one, you know, is there was a, when I first started watching it, um, you know, I'm trying to, it's like when Schumacher was racing and, you know, all those guys, it was and you know cold heart and all those it was like it was that kind of competitive and and you just when you watched a race you just you didn't know who you know which way it was going to go who was going to win you know whatever and then it just got to a point that started messing with the rules and changing things and and then it just got to be a parade of expensive machines you know it's like they kind of okay they, they qualified and they started in that order and yeah there was a little you know, back and forth position change and particularly through pitch strategy and, you know, red flags and things of that sort when there was an accident or something. But basically it was like a parade of, you know, million, <laughs> million dollar race cars. So it's like, you know, it's just, so again, yeah, there is something interesting about it. You still have the personalities and you have the cool technology and you go to see a race live and you get to hear the the cars and it, that's really cool, but it, it's, it doesn't hold much interest beyond that, you know, so. And and that's why I have a lot of respect for the racing organizations that, you know, have the very difficult job of trying to keep the rules balanced because, you know, one, you want things to be fair, quote unquote, right? So that no one dominates for too long, right? So that there is competition, but then, you know, you don't want, you don't want to overcomplicate it and, you know, so I don't know, you, you, that's why you see the constant jockeying back and forth. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's somewhere between an entertainment product and an advertising platform. And and so it has to be interesting because you, you need eyeballs, you need people's attention. And so um, the organizers have this interesting job of trying to put together a rules package that is um, fair or interesting to the racers because you got to have racers. But but really, their ultimate job is to put an entertaining product 
out on the track and, and on, on video. So, uh, they have to balance those, those interests and, um, and, you know, that's a moving target over time as, uh, audiences change and as, um, motorcycles change. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you mentioned, so like, like the bike you race, the Suzuki SV650, you said that's about $6,000 new, like if you want to. Uh, yeah, you could, you could haggle your way down to $6,000 on an SV650. Okay. And then what, what would you estimate you have invested Oof. in your bike? Uh, I'd rather, rather not. <laughs> is that a, is that a, rather is that a painful question? <laughs> um, you know, it, no. it happens slow. So, um, I would say if, if someone wanted to, um, to go track day or go novice race and SV650, you could buy one set up, built by another racer, ready to go for, um, three to $4,000. Um, you, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell mine for that, but, um, it's uh, you, you never get your money back based on what you put into it. Um, if if you wanted to go buy a brand new one and set it up to go race expert club racing or or go, you know, finish mid pack in Moto America, you could probably have the motorcycle and everything else all in for fifteen grand. Uh, just just to go out and turn a wheel. Okay. Um, and if you want to get into fancy MoTeC ECUs and lightweight wheels and all that, you can, you can spend as much money as you want. Sure. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's one of those interesting games. Diminishing right? returns. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also, right. And I guess that's partly where the strategy comes to, right? Cause then it's like, okay, so given this is your race budget, you know, what, what do you spend on the bike and you know, what do you spend on yourself? Right. Wh whatever that may be, you know, whatever training and things that you do and yeah. Eating right. Yeah. And, and all that kind of stuff. So must yeah. Be I mean, as, as you, as you move up, the, the biggest expenses tend to be um, operational. It, it's not the motorcycle. It's not your leathers. It's, it's $400 per every set of tires. It's uh, it's, you know, yeah. travel, transport, lodging for you and any crew to go, to the west coast it's uh it's it's that stuff uh it's it's not the capital of the motorcycle or the trailer um i mean that that can add up too but uh the the biggest costs are definitely the operational costs yeah no that makes sense uh, i assume particularly i imagine when you know you're racing at the higher levels and now you have lots of people involved you know mechanics and engineers and people that analyze data and all that kind of stuff i mean it, it's interesting like when when you look at series like moto gp and you just you look at the number of people in the pits you know for one of the teams right uh, and you know i'm sure you know all the racers have probably physical therapists that are working with them and all you know it's like it's it's really interesting like like you said like the sky's the limit how much money can you spend and and i, and I guess the answer to that is how many you know how many sponsorships can you get right that's you know what you can spend is what you can get in right in, in terms of you know whether it's sponsored or yeah you know there's 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 a huge range between you know the guy running his first first club race to mark marquez right um and and i'm certainly much much closer to that first guy uh 
But um, you're absolutely right. In order to sustain it for more than a year or two, you have to look at it like like a business and say, you know, what am I willing? What can I bring in? Or like, what am I willing to pay to do this as a hobby? Um, you know, and, and for a lot of us, it's like, you know, some, some people, um, go, go play $200 rounds of golf or take big fishing trips or, or camp or whatever. And, uh, it's just, it's a hobby expense for, for quite a few of us at, at the club level and, and most of us at the twins cup level. Um, but, but certainly sponsorship, mm-hmm. contingency, purse money can definitely help offset a lot of those costs. And it's, it's great to see um, right. a bit of a rebound over the last couple of years with, with some of those manufacturer contingency programs. Yeah. So, so with, with all things said, right. So that the package that you've put together, you know, between whatever sponsorships you have and, you know, contingency money and whatever, are you pretty much covering costs? Is it costing you? Are you kind of coming away with a little bit? No, it, it costs me out? money to go racing. Um, it's, it's like, uh, in, in order to go to a potential sponsor and and put together, uh, a deal that would, that would actually, uh, cover your costs. Um, you know, you, you've got to bring them some real value and, um, social media shout outs and and things like that. Um, those, those are helpful and appreciated, but, um, but you can't, you can't go ask somebody for, for thousands of dollars for that. Um, so that, that comes down to what, what kind of promotional platform do you bring them or, or what kind of, um, social influence, social media influence can you offer? Um, and, uh, there's, there's very few people out there that, that in motorcycle racing that can really offer something that, that justifies that, that kind of support. And and you see those guys at the front of the super bike and super sport and, and junior cup fields. Sure. Sure. And, and I, I guess probably the other thing is, you know, for those guys, that, that whole thing, the social media and whatever, I, I mean, that's like a job in and of itself and not saying necessarily that they're doing it, although some of them are like, I know, you know, Josh Heron does a lot social media wise and whatever. Um, but I'm sure they have people that they're working with. And again, that, I guess that all kind of comes together. It's like, okay, the more sponsors you have and the more money you can play with and the more people you can hire to help with that kind of stuff. But that, that's like a whole that I guess that just gets more to the business side of racing, right? Where there's like the racing part, you have a motorcycle, you can go out and you can, and you race. And then there's this whole other thing that, you know, if, if you want to have a program with lots of money coming in, that's like a whole business enterprise, you know, lining up sponsors. And, and like you said, you know, doing whatever things they want for the exposure and going, you know, doing interviews and making appearances. And yeah, whatever. definitely. They're, they're two very, very different approaches to it. And, um, you know, I think back back for a long time, a, a lot of the money came in through manufacturer contingency or, or tire manufacturer contingency, um, and and people could go could go club race or or race a couple of pro events, and and potentially break even or even make a couple bucks if if they were pretty fast. Um, but uh, you saw most of those programs went away with the um, I guess the financial recession. It's, 2007, 2008, and haven't haven't really come back in the same way. So for most um, most amateurs now, it's club racing is, is definitely all 
all spending money, not making money, um, which which I think kind of factors into the, the growth in guys that maybe they'll go do track days instead, um, where you can make one set of tires last five times as long and get a lot more laps. Right, right. But I'm guessing for some, such as yourself, I mean, because you, you said what, you did one track day and then you pretty much started racing, right? So, uh, you know, if the bug bites, the bug bites. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's cool that guys like you are making it happen, you know, and okay, yeah, maybe it's costing you money to do it. But if you're enjoying it, I mean, you're getting, to, you know, you're getting to be out on the same track that, you know, Elias and Bobier are racing on. And, you know, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, really cool. I, I do it because I couldn't not do it. Um, uh, there's, there's no other, there's no other I, argument for it. I, I just get can't it. not do it. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, last month I got to go ride and race at Laguna Seca, which is a track that I've, uh, I've been watching and, and playing on video games and kind of fantasizing about since I was, you know, 10, 12 years old and to, to get to go, to go race that, um, is, you know, that's, that's priceless. So, um, no, it's, it's not a business, but, but it's, uh, it's great that I'm, I'm able to do it and I'm, I'm really enjoying it, uh, here <laughs> in my better late than never motorcycle racing career. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And and I think that's, that's where the passion comes. You know, it's like you do, you do something cause you love it and yeah. Okay, great. If you can figure out how to make money doing it. All right. Well, so much the better, but uh, I mean, it's kind of like this podcast, you know, I just started this cause I wanted to do it. I'm like, I don't know. I just, this looks like fun. You know, let me, let me give it a shot. Let me kind of see where it goes. You know, I don't make anything from doing it, but like, and, and, and maybe you get the same thing. Like when, you, when you race, like, like today I got an e- a really cool email from a guy saying, Hey, you know, I've been listening for a while. I love the podcast, you know, this, this, and the other thing. And, you know, here's some suggestions I have. And could you talk about this and talk about that? And it's just like, just like made my day, you know, it's like, wow, like someone's listening and, and yeah. they care kind of thing, you know? So uh, that, that, that's like the reward of it, I guess. And, you know, so three years ago I was bitten by the motorcycle bug and yeah, I'm not doing track days yet and I'm not racing, but I understand what you said. It's like, it's so funny. It took me, you know, whatever, 53 years to find it. But now that I'm in motorcycling, I can't not do it. Like that's, that's not, that's not like an option. It's just, okay. Yeah. It took me a long time to find it. Okay, fine, whatever. (laughs) But it's like, you know, I've said before on like on the podcast, like I'll keep riding till I can't throw a leg over and then I'll figure something out, you know, whether it's ride a spider or whatever, you know, I'll just keep riding. So it's, yeah, it is that, it is funny once you have that passion and, and, and that's partly like why, why I wanted to talk to you and, you know, like talking to Braden Orton stuff, because to me, there's kind of like. I don't know if it's the right way to put it, but there's like levels of involvement in motorcycling, right? So, you know, you can be the casual rider, you know, rides a couple times a year or the guy that goes out every weekend, or then there's the people that ride iron butts, right? You know, they do a thousand miles in 24 hours or just recently there was a woman who won the iron butt rally, which I forget what it is. It's some like 15,000 miles in 12 days or something like that, right? And then you have guys that get out on the track and then you guys have guys that race. So that's like, and, and so, it's interesting because when I first contacted you about coming on the podcast, you know, my focus when I first started this thing was basically helping, you know, new new riders, like getting new people in and, and helping new riders get started. And I still want to do that. And I still have a passion for that. But I realized, like, really, my thing is just doing whatever I can to help expand the sport of motorcycling. So if that means 
I can help someone who was thinking about track days actually do it or someone who's like, yeah, it'd be nice to race, like listens to this episode with you and like decides to race, then, then awesome. Like then, then I'm accomplishing. Yeah, that, that's great. And I, I, I love that mission. I, I completely share the feeling and, and it was a big, big part of why I wanted to talk with you. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I went through a bunch of phases in my riding where I got interested in bikes again as an adult. And said, "Well, hey, I, I got a paycheck now. I'll go. I'll go buy one." And um, and you know, at different points, I was a street rider. I um, I, I got into a, a dirt bike phase, riding in the woods. Um, I I did the iron butt deal. I I've got a, I have a couple of iron butt certifications myself, and um, ended up traveling nice. and, and camping off motorcycles. With my wife and um, just gone through all these different, um, I guess disciplines or, or like subcultures or, or styles of motorcycles and and then we're all great it's and there no no one of them is, is better than another it's just um things i discovered and groups of people that i was able to to learn from and go ride with and tell stories with and uh and it, it's great it's it's yeah. um i hope more people get to discover uh bikes and bike culture and and the motorcyclist community because it's it's really really unique Oh, absolutely. It, it It is. It's just, um, you know, and I've said before, it's not, you know, I, I guess there's lots of communities of people, right? If you're a musician, you know, then I'm sure you feel like that's a, that's an awesome group of people, right? Or whatever you're into martial arts, right? That cause you, you share that common thing, but there, there is just something about motorcycle. I know it's just like, they're just, they're just cool people. <laughs> it's like, you just, you know, you, you just go, you know, you see someone riding, you just go walk up to them, you talk to them or whatever, or a racer or whatever. And and that's what I think one of the really cool things about Moto America. And, you know, one of the, so like one of the things I want to do, so like I said, like it is kind of helping expand things out. So if, if, if I have listeners who've never thought of race, you know, going to see motorcycle racing or watching on TV, I'm like, okay, well maybe by interviewing some guys in Moto America and just talking about my own interest, people start to go, Hey, you know, wow, maybe that's kind of interesting. Maybe I should check it out, you know, and, and just kind of build things that way as well. And the, the point I was getting to is one of the things I love with Moto America is, and, and this may change, you know, as Moto America grows, you know, and, and it gets more and more popular. Okay. Maybe things will change. It's kind of the nature of growth, but certainly right now things are very accessible. You know, it's like <clears throat> my girlfriend, Gina and I, you know, we saw the race in uh, New Jersey last year and uh, you know, I went for the upgraded package. So we actually, you know, got to go out on the track before the super bike started. And then we got to be on the, the you know, the, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the main straightaway wall when they went by, you know, when they started, when they went by on the first lap and and it's like you, you walk around the pits, you can just pretty much go up and talk to anybody. You know, you just walk up to a racer. Hey, how's it going? Whatever. You know, you see Wayne Rainey just kind of go by. You can go say hello to him where, you know, in other series like MotoGP, you know, that, that there's so much bigger and I don't know, whatever, that there's so much more money involved right now that you don't get that same access or to get that same access, you know, it costs a lot of money. So I, I think that's really a huge benefit to Moto America is like that that level of access and being able to interact yeah, with people. Absolutely. hundred percent. You know, you, you can come up and, and buy your, your general admission ticket. I know you said you, you did the, the nice package and I, I think that's, that's really cool deal that they offer. But if, if somebody out there just wants to buy the, you know, the 40, $50 ticket, um, you can still come into the pits. You can still talk to all the racers, all the crew, you know, uh, 
put your put your two-year-old on the bike and take a photo like yeah you're you're not going to get to do that at MotoGP, which is which is great in a whole different way of MotoGP is but um yeah moto america is very accessible and um and and not just at the racetrack like you can interact with these guys on online on social media and and they'll talk back to you because um yeah racers really we understand that it's it's the the fans that um that make this thing work. <laughs> and so we really want to engage with people that, that like to come out and watch racing. Yeah. Which is cool. And I, it just makes it, it makes it a lot of fun. You know, I know, um, you know, when, when we were at the race last year, you know, seeing younger, it didn't just have to be younger kids, but you know, you'd see like a eight year old kid, you know, with a picture of his favorite racer or whatever. And then, Hey, can you sign this thing? You know, he just, whatever. Like I remember, I know a kid like, you know, Bobby, I just went walking by. He's like, Hey, Cameron, Cameron, can you sign this? Take a picture. It's just it, the, the love, the excitement is just awesome. Like it just, it just gets you going. It's like, it really wow, it's, is. It's and, cool. and, you know, so. if anybody's never been to a race in person, you, you do have to go once because it's it's something that video, television, whatever, does, does not do it justice. Um, it's not until you stand against the wall and, and watch the bikes come by full speed that you really get a sense for um, for just the – the, the speed and, and how impressive these, these bikes are and that some of the riders are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a different experience. I mean, I love watching on TV for sure. At least me, I find it easier to keep, to keep track of what's going on if I watch on TV. Right. Cause it's just kind of directed for you. It's like pretty much, you know, always following the bikes in the lead and, you know, you've got the nice, easy to see scoreboard on the side of the TV or whatever. So it's definitely easier to follow, but I, absolutely. I mean, if anyone likes watching racing, you got to go see it in person. It, it 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 is just a different thing, you know. Even even if you just stand one spot on the track and just watch the bikes go by, listen to them go by, it, it's a different thing, you know. You just you just hear that the you know you hear and you feel the rumble of the exhaust and the engines or whatever. It's it's, it's pretty yeah wild. for sure. You know, it's like you uh, obviously when you put your headphones on and you listen to the album, you can hear all the words, but we, we still go to the concert, right? Good. That's that, that's actually that's a really good way of looking at. It. That's a good analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the thing too is, it's it's funny, right? Because sometimes you know you have a favorite album and you love the way it sounds, and you go see the band perform live, and it's like disappointing. It's like oh well, you know, because the it's what I call like a studio band, right? They depend too much on effects and whatever in the studio. So you still you get to see them live and whatever, but it's not as entertaining. And then sometimes you see a performer you see them play live and it's just like, they just kick ass. It's like, it's like, it takes it up a notch. It's like so much better. And so I guess same thing, you know, could apply to racing. Like you see someone on TV, but then you see them like live, you see them do a lot. Like, um, you know, the season I was at uh, Coda for the MotoGP and Moto America races, you know, and I was in turn 15 when uh, Marquez lost it. I think it was turn 12 or whatever, you know, when he low sided, and it was, you know, not that I wanted to see that happen. And it was interesting, too, because the thing I found interesting was pretty much everyone in the stands, whether they were Marquez fan or not, everyone was like, oh, man, like it felt bad for him because it's like that's not the way <laughs> to go out of a race. You know, that's not that's not the way you want to see someone else win. But my point is seeing it live. It was just different. I don't know. It was something yeah, different than yeah, if you just saw it on absolutely. TV. Watch, watching a motorcycle crash on video, <laughs> watching a motorcycle crash in person, 
completely different emotional experience. Even yeah, if it's yeah. just a little low side. Yeah. Well, uh, the, sure. Yeah. And and the thing that was impressive about that crash is you could see he tried so hard to get going again. You know, it's like he, he the, the bike ended up in the gravel. He went to pick it up. I guess it wouldn't start. You know, the track workers are trying to help him. You know, he got up on the bike and then he fell off the other way and then he picked up the bike. Like the dude was working it. He you know, like that 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 is not a lazy guy. Like you could tell why he he's at the level he's at, like why he's racing there, because he just uh, he just works very, hard. Very, very, very committed, very tenacious. So. Cool, cool. So um so let's see. So so this is your well, okay. So Twins Cup, this is the second season for twins cup right and you you yeah i did i did two events last year with the twins cup so um they uh they announced the class a couple of years ago and um we weren't sure you know how how it was going to go how well it was going to take off and so um the plan for 2018 was we were going to build a bike and and run four races maybe five kind of run run the closer tracks for me on the East coast. Um, and un- unfortunately, uh, at the, at early 2018, I, uh, ended up having to get, um, get some shoulder surgery and have some, some stuff repaired, which put me out for about half the year last year. So, um, managed to, uh, get, get back, um, fit enough to ride and, um, my first race of the year last year it was actually an endurance race, which was kind of silly. But I did an endurance race, and then a couple of weeks uh-huh. later went and did the Moto America race at Pittsburgh. So um, that uh-huh. that weekend it was awesome. It was my my first pro weekend, my first Moto America weekend as a rider, and um, uh, actually went went great. I uh, ended up qualifying. I, I believe I qualified fourth, and um, and finished on the podium in third place. So just uh, such such a great way to to kind of come nice. back after an injury. Um and and really couldn't believe it. I, I don't think I realized it until well after I was off the podium and past the press conference that uh it really hit me as to, you know, just how how well <laughs> we had finished. Oh wow. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it must be interesting too when it kind of like sinks in and you're like Wow. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> you know, did. in that race, honestly, there were there were probably, uh, I think there were probably like four guys that were faster than me, but um, one of them crashed, and then one of them had a mechanical, and so as I was racing, I'm I'm kind of thinking like, man, this this sucks. Like I should be up there with them. I can see them, but I can't quite hang with them. And um, and so in my head, I was really just kind of bummed because I I wanted to go, you know, fight fight at the very front, um, and. And so I, you know, we come in, we come off the track and they kind of point me where to go and they pull me into, uh, you know, park for me near the podium and I park the bike and I get off and I'm like, man, I wasn't even close to the win, you know, <laughs> like kind of, kind of salty. And it wasn't until they're like, here, stay on this box and take a trophy that I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is actually pretty great now that I think about it. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's just funny how, how fast cool. things happen and how fast things things can can change on the track uh as as you're out there racing yeah and and i know too like it's not an uncommon thing in racing i forget what it was just recently 
I don't know if it was a Moto America race, but I was watching some race where, yeah, like the, the, the guy, I don't know if it was, whatever it was, it was like he was further ahead than he realized. So he crosses the finish line. He's like, okay, fine. You know, I'll finish the race. And then it's like, no, you're in second place. He's like, what? <laughs> oh, but no, it was Moto America. It was, uh, maybe it was Super Sport. I can't remember the, I can't remember the racer's name, but uh, I think, I think they were talking about it on uh, off track, you know, the, uh, with the Carruthers and Vice podcast. Um, so anyway, it's kind of cool. And I could understand too, because there's got to be so much going on. I mean, I, I, like, I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, cause I, you know, it's particularly watching like, like Superbike, MotoGP and stuff. Like even just like reading everything that's on the pit board, right. When, when you're going down the straightaway, I'm like, how do these guys like, you, you know, you're doing whatever, like 150, 180 miles an hour. How do you absorb all that stuff? You know, and I guess a lot of it is practice and stuff, but I could see that there's like so much going on that, you know, just managing yourself and the bike to take a lot of your attention, let alone everything else going on, you know, and, and, and it's interesting too, because I've heard some racers and I don't know if it was Marquez or someone who talked about like, you know, he, he was going down the circuit and he actually caught on the jumbotron something going on. So he knew whatever, like one of his competitors had just crashed or something. And so it's like, it's like interesting. Like if you're really paying attention, there's all these ways to pick up information, you know, that, that can help with your strategy and what you're doing. So I know it's interesting because it just makes me think of, you know, I'm, I'm almost done reading the, the first of Keith Code's books where he talks a lot about you know, attention, like attention units and basically, you know, how much attention you have when you're on a motorcycle, whether it's on the street or on the track and learning, like drilling things and practicing to minimize the amount of attention that has to go to various things so that you have more attention, you know, on what's going on around you. You know, how was this lap compared to the last lap? What's your competitors doing? You know, so you're, you're not, and that's like the typically what, what, you know, like new motorcyclists, right? The problem is they're so, they have so much attention on not stalling the bike and, you know, working the clutch and working the throttle that they're not paying attention to what's going on around them on the street, right? And that's one of the things I think makes street riding dangerous. You know, as people, they're still in the process of really learning how to control the bike and they don't have enough attention, you know, on what's going on around them. And so they can get themselves into some bad situations. But anyway, I guess the point is I, I just admire, like I watch motorcycle races and I go, that's, that's amazing. So, and, and like, is that something that you find has improved, like improves over time? Like you're able to absorb more and more. Yeah, like certainly. Um, too? You know, like uh, earlier in my racing career, uh, I never knew what position I was in. <laughs> I mean, unless unless I was in unless I was in first I or second understand. or third, and you could see the front. Like I don't know, I'm I'm somewhere back there uh, because the focus is like next corner, next guy in front of you. Um, and, and I think that's similar to what you were saying about a new rider. You know, it's like I'm thinking about how to downshift or I'm thinking about how to cancel my turn signal. Um, but as as you get more more reps, more experience, what what was challenging becomes less challenging. And and you're able to try to take on new skills with the bike and then also to expand your focus or or maybe focus further ahead, whether that be further ahead on the track or further ahead in, in time, you know, thinking about what am I going to do on the next lap or where am I going to pass this guy? Um, but I, I still have so much left to learn. I mean, that's something that um, when, when I'm racing well, I'm not consciously thinking about any of that. It's just sort of happening. Uh, 
Um, and then when, when it's not going so great, it seems like everything's happening really fast and, and things are sneaking up on me and I'm behind schedule. So, uh, I think that the same skills or the same, um, mental approach that you take as a new rider or a street rider is, is really just the same basic thing on the track, just kind of at a higher level and at, at a faster speed. Yeah. For sure. And I, I know I mentioned on a recent episode, I think it was, yeah, I think it was the one with Braden Ort where, you know, reading, reading Keith Code's book, I suddenly realized like, cause, cause I, I love to watch Isle of Man. Right. And it, it's not that they're necessarily faster than, you know, what you see, you know, on the racetrack, but it, it's such a different environment, right? Because they are on, you know, public roadways and you have all kinds of obstacles and there's no runoff areas. And so, I've looked at the speed that these guys go just from the, just, just from like a, a camera, not even onboard camera, but like a, just a, well, especially, especially like a camera, you know, at the side of the track or something, but then even the onboard cameras and you just look at how the scenery goes by so quickly. And I was like, how can these guys even do it? Like, I don't even know if, I don't even know if I could see or react fast enough. And then reading Keith Code's book where he kind of talks about that, like, again, this thing about attention and whatever. And the, the more trained you are and the more practiced you are, the more time it gives you, the more, and, and, and that's so much the thing is the, the, the further out you can look, you know, and he talks about like reference points and things, the more you see in your peripheral vision, the more kind of time you get because you have, you, you feel more in control and you have more time to react to things, you know? So, cause that, I don't know, at 180 miles an hour, I don't know. We could, I, I could pull up a calculator, but you're doing some ridiculous amount. Was it like 300 feet a second or something like that? Or it's probably more than that. So the, the, the distance that you're covering is just phenomenal, you know? And, and so if, if your attention is up too close, it, it doesn't even matter. Right. Cause you know, you snap your fingers, that was 500 <laughs> feet. So it's like, you know, it, 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 you know, it's what's a half a mile down the road that matters, not what's 500 feet in front of you. Cause yeah, you just yeah. don't have and, time to react. You know, whether, whether you're on, Isle of Man or a racetrack or just on the street, um, you know, that, that's, that's one of the best things you can do is, is, you know, look and focus further ahead because whatever's 10, 20, 50 feet in front of you is irrelevant. You've already, <laughs> you have already given your input on what's going to happen 50 feet in front of you. Forget it and hope for the best and, and look ahead. Right. You needed to have seen that thing a thousand feet ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and what's funny is the further ahead you focus, the more things feel like they slow down and the more in control you feel and in a track situation you actually go a lot faster when when you kind of give up on what's right off your front wheel and, and worry about the next corner. You you feel like you're going slower, but you go much faster. That like logically that totally makes sense to me. I know like the first track day I do that I, that probably won't be my experience, but, but, but I understand, I understand what you're talking about. That, that whole self-preservation instinct does try to fight you. On that. Uh, yep. And, and, and I think that's partly what intrigues me about doing track days is knowing like, and, and like I said, it's not like I feel like, you know, I'm a perfect street rider, but you know, that thing of getting on a track and then, you know, it's just a thing of development, like like developing your skills, getting more experienced, and exposing yourself to these things that you're you you don't really have to deal with on the street in order to keep building the ability, you know. And and that's what I've said. I think is so fascinating. It's one of the reasons people like motorcycling because there's always 
there's always you can always get better. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to practice. You, you know, you can you can always be a tenth of a sec, second faster on the lap, you know, or whatever. So it, it it's like it never gets dull. No, it's it's great because like you said, you can always kind of push your limits and that that self preservation instinct, that that sense of fear of like what if I go too far? Um for one, it's exciting. And <laughs> for 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 two, it kind of keeps you honest. You don't go out there and just, uh, you know, like when I was when I was sixteen, and I get my I get my first car. What do you do? You like go out there and you go up sixty miles an hour and you downshift, you throw on the handbrake, and you do all this goofy stuff, right? Because the car is just going to slide around, no big deal. But you get on a motorcycle and you try to do the equivalent. I don't know what that would be. Grab the front brake as hard as you can or something. Um, it's going to hurt, and you know it's going to hurt. And so you actually have to kind of sneak up on it and really work on your skills. And, um, and as you do, it's, it's very, very rewarding. And, and you also get an appreciation for the guys that, that can do it at the highest level and, and control their bikes in situations where it just looks like they're, they're short of crash. And in fact, it's interesting because recently I was sharing some videos on Facebook. Recently there's been, I think one was MotoGP maybe World Superbike, there might have even been a Moto America one, where incidents where guys, whatever, they had some kind of issue, front-end wobble, a near high side, whatever it was, and they actually ended up off the bike, next to the bike, like at, at high speed, slowing the bike down while they were, you know, basically sliding on their boots, <laughs> you know, to, on the left or whatever side of the bike. And and I look at that and I go, that's that's some athleticism. You know, one to be able to react fast enough to not lose the bike and then to have the strength and, and the control and whatever to actually, you know, be on top of that situation and slow the bike down and, and deal with it safely. Yeah. I saw that. I saw that video too. It's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. So you go, how it's like Superman. Like how the heck did he do that? Yeah. It doesn't seem like it should work, but, uh, yeah. but I, they pulled it off. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, um, do you, you, you ride on the street anymore? Or is it kind of all your attentions on the track and racing? Um, I don't ride on the street anymore. Uh, it, when I when I got into racing a few years back, at the time I had been commuting. Um, I commuted probably 90, 95% of the days for a decade. Um, and I had this Yamaha Super Tenere set up just like I wanted it, the big bags and all that stuff. And, and I started racing in the springtime. And it was probably June or July. I realized I hadn't moved that street bike once. I went. I went from riding every day to didn't even think about riding it. And and so you know, I haven't haven't been riding on the street since then. That that being said, uh, I think I I see myself going back to it at some point in my life. But um, right now, for me, motorcycling is is just very very specifically about you know kind of trying to get to that limit and and trying to improve my skills. And I, I just don't think I could enjoy going out and cruising at a set speed, uh, watching out for cars and gravel and stuff like that. But, but I, I do miss, I, I do still miss getting out in the country or going somewhere I've never been before on a bike and, and exploring. And, and I'm sure I'll, I'll do that again somewhere down the line. I, I guess in large part, right. So it's just that you know, you're, you're racing now, right? That's, that's what kind of has your interest. And I'm, and I'm guessing, you know, it, it does take so much time and attention and whatever that like, that's the thing. Like when, like, yeah, I, I, like I'm guessing, right. If you had the time to go ride your street bike, 
you maybe you want to be working on your race bike or or something like that, like preparing for the race weekend. Yeah, for sure. Time is a big piece of it because, um, you know, if you were to travel 15 to 20 weekends a year for for racing or, or practice days or uh, to do some kind of errand related to the bike, take this from here to there. And then, you know, for guys like me, I have, I have a full-time job. <laughs> it's not racing. And uh, sometimes there's there's uh, travel involved with that too. So um, it, it only leaves so many, so many free hours and so many free Saturdays where it's like you got to come home and cut the grass and hang out with the wife, <laughs> not go sure. out ride my motorcycle. Around. But but life is good. I'm I'm not complaining. I'm I'm very lucky to be able to to do all those things. No, that's that's awesome. What uh, what what kind of work do you do when you're not racing? Um, I, I work for a software company and I'm a I'm in product management. So get to uh, travel around and, and visit customers a lot, which which is cool. Uh, but but sometimes it goes back to back with race weekends. So it's like. Travel to the meeting, then fly right to the track, and then fly to another meeting, and then get home two weeks later. Time management. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm guessing you get some frequent flyer miles, at least. Yeah. There's the silver lining. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, as, uh, as uh, like, in terms of your race craft, right, like developing your skills as, as a motorcycle racer, what, what things have been the most helpful to you you know has it is it has it come through reading you know like through coaching or schools that you've done or is it just like getting on the bike and experimenting what do you find has helped the most yeah so um you know if if i had to say just one thing i would say it's mentorship it's it's finding someone who can help you avoid the the big mistakes and shortcut the learning process they they can't they can't teach you how to go faster than than you're ultimately going to figure out how to go yourself but they can they can put you in a position where your your bike is ready and it's set up and you're not running late you're in the right frame of mind and you can just go out and and go through your natural learning process um and i've had some some really really great mentors that have helped me with with my program overall as well as others who've helped me with with riding itself um, and I, I think that that was a big part of why I was able to have some success pretty quickly. If, if I could offer more than one, I'd say, um, the start on a small bike. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to go learn how to go fast, um, I would, I would start on something smaller than a modern 600. Now, if, if you just want to go, go do track days and have fun, ride wherever you want, you know, a 1000 is not going to kill you. But if, if, if your goal is to, um, to ultimately win races at any level, I, I think you can learn a lot more quickly uh, with a lower performance motorcycle. Like a three or four hundred, or yeah, three four hundred. You know, I'm I'm obviously partial to the six fifties, but whether it's a Suzuki or an FCO seven or whatever, um, or even like an older, you know, an older six hundred. Um, thinking like go 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 to two thousand five R six or a two thousand six GSXR six hundred or a Honda CBR RR for. 3000 bucks prep for the track. Uh, they're much easier to ride than, um, you know, some, some new ZX 10 or, or even a newer R six, which, which are pretty, pretty, um, fun, but, but nervous motorcycles to ride. Yeah. It, it's actually, it's interesting. You know, I talked about, well, I've talked about a couple episodes, I, uh, a test road, a Kawasaki ZX six R, you know, which was, was on the road. Not like, a, not like I got to ride it on the track or anything, but God, that thing was a blast. <laughs> it was just, I, it just felt like 
not that I've like been on a race bike, but I'm like, this must be what a race bike feels like. You know, it's just, you know, high revving engine. The thing just wants to go. It's just like, go ahead. I dare you crack, you know, crank the throttle. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I know. I remember the first time I got on a 600, uh, it was on the street and you, you get on the thing and you're like, Oh, this feels, this feels dangerous. And then you get it rolling, maybe shift into second gear and like, okay, no big deal. And the RPM start to come up and you go like, Oh, <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> and it, it just, it starts to get fun at 75 miles an hour, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't kind of touched on tonight? Well, I really appreciate you having me on. I, like I said earlier, I, I, um, I'm, I'm crazy about motorcycles in, in all forms and, and I'm glad to see others trying to just grow and, and bring new people in. So, um, I guess as the, the track race guy, I would just say anybody out there that's, that's thinking about getting started, go try it, take your bike, go to a track day, do it as soon as you can and decide if you like it. I was riding street bikes and sport bikes back in 2005, 2007, and, uh, was kind of thinking about getting into it and, uh, Stuff happened and life changed and it, it took me another seven or eight years to finally come back around and, and, and get into it. And, uh, you know, it would have been, would have been so cool to have another five or, or eight years of my career when I was a younger guy. So whether you're young or old, I'd say just, just try it. You can, you can do it. And if you don't like it, it only costs you a few hundred bucks. And if, and if you decide you're serious about it, go buy, go buy a bike that's already built. <laughs> don't try to convert your street bike to a track bike. Uh, you'll, you'll spend way too much money. Just, Get on Facebook, go to Track Day Junkies or wherever, and and find that prep six hundred for three thousand bucks, and, and go have fun. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because when when I first started thinking about doing Track Days, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'll take the Z nine hundred RS and I'll put some sliders on it and blah blah blah. And then the more I looked at it, I was like, yeah, I don't know if that really makes a lot of sense for for a bunch of reasons. One, if something goes wrong. I don't really want to throw that bike down the track, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, I guess that was kind of the main thing. And plus it's not, it's not a track bike. I mean, yes, I could take it on the track and maybe once or twice I'll do it just to kind of get the feel for it. But I, I like the idea of what you're saying is, you know, that's, that's what occurred to me. Is like, and I, particularly your point about a bike that's already set up, like someone who's been through the pains, they spent the money, you know, so that, especially because for, for someone new getting on the track, right, you don't want to have to spend all this time prepping the bike and whatever, like take a bike that's kind of ready to go, learn on that. And then fine, then you're ready to get another bike or whatever. You want to do more work on it so that you can actually go and do the race and go do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. Start, start as soon as you can. And and the money you'll save there will get you another four or five track days this year and it gets you out sooner. So that that would be my note. Never never build a race bike. Just jump in and, and give it a try. Well, you, you were smart. You didn't wait till your mid 50 <laughs> I, I guess so i guess so. It's better better late than never and uh you know there there are guys racing in the twins cup with with me this year that are in their 50s so yeah um cool. you, you still have time chris yeah uh, listen i the, the vintage races i went to and grant you know it's amateur racing they're doing it for fun and whatever just for bragging rights but there was a bunch of guys in their 70s racing that that was like really cool to see. I was like, okay, I got I got a chance. I got I got I got twenty something years. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope I'm still doing it in some form when I'm fifty, sixty, seventy. So if if people want to contact you, like, what's the best way? I know you have like a Facebook page and stuff, but what the what's the best way for people to see what you're up to or to to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So um, probably best way is Instagram. So Chris Bay's six two one. Probably most active on there, and and feel free to shoot me a message too, and 
you want to talk bikes or new guys want help getting started or whatever, I'm, I'm happy to, to chat with anybody about bikes. Um, also have Facebook, you know, Chris Bay 621. Um, and then um, the other thing, not exactly me, but um, if you want to watch the races, you got Moto America Live Plus. If you just Google Moto America Live Plus, you can get all the races, um, not just Twins Cup, but all the Moto America stuff streaming on demand and live. So uh, check that out. It's like 10 bucks a weekend if you want to just try it before you buy a whole season. Yeah. Yep. I've got my subscription. It's definitely awesome. Um, the, the only thing I wish, and maybe they'll do this next year, um, like last last season, they had the races on YouTube. Uh, it w- was free. Like, I don't mind paying for it. That's totally fine. But with YouTube, I was able to download the video. So like I, I commute to New York City two hours each way, right? So I could like be on the train or the subway, you know, where I'm not getting a signal. And I could actually be watching, you know, catching up on my racing. So it was easier last season. But with the Live Plus app, I don't see a way to do that. So, you know, maybe actually I'll, I'll make a suggestion to uh, to the powers that be. Maybe they, maybe they could look at doing that for next year. Yeah, you should drop them a line. I mean, this is the first year of the platform, so um, I'm sure it'll get better and better. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. That would be nice. And I'm hoping they'll add a, a Chromecast as well, because that's that's how I like to watch my content. So Yes, good point. Good point. I'm sure they'll work on it. Although I think. Yeah, I mean, what's cool with I don't. Do, what do you have? Do you have an Apple phone or or Android? Uh, Android personally. Because with, I'm pretty sure I've tried it. I don't don't hold don't anybody don't listeners hold hold me to this. I'll actually, I'll try it out before I put the podcast up. But I'm pretty sure with Google Home, like the it, it's not through the Live Plus app, but through Google Home, I can screencast to Chromecast my my phone screen, and I think it works with the Live Plus. Oh, that's cool. I have to try that. So yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll check that out. So. All right. So yeah, awesome, please, awesome. please follow along. Watch, you know, catch me on Instagram and uh, watch the races. Come out to your race. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, so I'll be Gene and I'll be in New Jersey in September. So I look forward to meeting you in person. I think that'll be really cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely will be following you uh, on on the, the the next four races coming up. I think that'll be that'll be a blast. So uh, I, I really appreciate you doing this, Chris. It's it's really cool. Like I said. Um, I just love, I love Moto America. The more I learn about it, the, the, the more, you know, the more I learn about the teams and the bikes and, and the racers and stuff, just the, the more excited I get about it. And I just want to just keep encouraging it. I think it's really cool. Like what Wayne Rainey and, and his team are doing to put this whole thing together. And, you know, it really, I, you know, I, I, it looks to me like it's working. Like it, it, it is, you know, it's building interest in motorcycling in the U S it's really cool. Yeah. When you, when you look at their, uh, all their television numbers and everything, all their social stats, I mean, it, it looks like it's continuing to grow. So. Um, I really feel like the, the move towards the the internet video is is huge. I mean, that's that's the future, right? I mean, that's that's now, and and so I I think that's going to provide them a way to to really step it up to the next level and reach more people, um, domestically and internationally. Totally, and especially since you know I know that they've said that there's no geo fencing or anything, so people like any place in the world can watch, which which that's really cool too. The fact that it opens up Moto America to anybody in any other country. You know, so uh, that, that's good too. Like the the viewership that could come that way. Yeah, I mean, you have huge motorcycle fan bases in all over the world, especially Europe and developing Asia. And you know, there's there's no reason to limit yourself to the U.S. for your for your fans. Um, I mean, heck, I, I watch I watch British Superbike. I watch Australian Superbike when when uh, we're in the off season in the winter. So um, I'm sure those folks want to watch good close racing in the U.S. 
All right, Chris. So um, if you want to hang on a little bit, maybe we'll just chat a little bit after after I end the call here. But uh, thanks again for joining me. And uh, good night, everyone. Thanks for having me. A huge thank you goes out to Chris Bays for joining me on the show tonight. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that Chris and I have teamed up to give away one general admission ticket to one of the remaining Motor America races this season in either Pittsburgh, New Jersey, or Alabama. To enter to win, all you have to do is go to my website at www.soyouwanttoridemotorcycle.com, click on the contact link near the upper right side of the website, and fill out your contact details there. In the message section, just mention that you're entering the contest. If you like, also tell me a little bit about yourself, what bike you ride, how long you've been riding, and anything else you want to share, like a favorite motorcycle-related story. Also, let me know if I can read your message on the podcast, and if so, how you want me to refer to you, full name, just first name and last initial, etc. Also, share anything you want about what you do and don't like about the podcast and any content you'd like to hear about in the future. Entries will be accepted until midnight New York time on Saturday, August 17th, 2019. This way, I'll have time to randomly select a winner and get the tickets out to them before the next race in Pittsburgh. The link to the contact page will be in the show notes, so you can just click it there if that makes things easier for you. If you are not a race fan, you can still enter, and if you win, just give the ticket to someone else that will make use of it. I hope everyone enters, and good luck to everyone. As always, thank you to everyone who has written in. If I haven't mentioned you on the podcast yet, I will in a future episode. But I do answer everyone's emails and messages personally as soon as I can, usually the same day. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook and let me know that you're out there and anything you'd like to let me know about the show. You can email me anytime at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website, soyouwanttoridemotorcycle.com, where you find all my details. Don't forget, I still have stickers available, even though a bunch of them are going on Chris Bay's motorcycle, which I think is really awesome, but I definitely still have stickers available. So if you want to help me promote the podcast, just email me your mailing address and I'll get some stickers out to you as long as I have some on hand. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis, or click the donate link at the upper right on my website. Please rate the show and leave me comments on iTunes as that will help other people find my podcast. Please also like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or you can find the links on my website. Keep spreading the word and help me build my online and listener communities. Thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. 